Uh, Darren Carter, welcome to the Baggies broadcast. How's it going? How's life? Yeah, it's all good, thank you. Busy, busy, but um, yeah, enjoying uh, life as a head coach. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on the Baggies broadcast as part as our part of our new um, guest series going out. Well, this will be out. I'll be fans. I'll be listening to this while the World Cup's going on. Um, we've had a few other few former teammates on Andy Johnson, Darren Moore, and the likes. Um, and we're chatting to you today. It's you know we're going to go back to your time at Albion, your two years at the club prior to that, your playing career after, and coaching career now, obviously with with Birmingham City Women and, and and your steps into into coaching. But as we do with all our guests, we're going to go right back to the very start to begin with. Um, just how your journey into to football began, you know, obviously you start playing football as a kid, but how did it begin for you? Obviously you ended up at Birmingham City, but how did it all start for Darren Carter? Yeah, I think it started with my Sunday league team. I was playing in the Central Warwickshire uh, Boys League uh, for a team called Arden Forest. And um, yeah, as it was back then, scouts used to come to the, uh, the games and approach your mum and dad. Um, so I had at the time uh, Blues and, and Wolves. Who actually came up to? I know I shouldn't be saying them, them words on a, a baggy spot. <laughs> we'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. It's the, uh, it was the truth. So, yeah, we, I ended up going in at, at Blues when I was 12 um, and sort of playing um, alongside that with my Sunday league team and my district and my school. Um, got to 14 and uh, it was kind of crunch, crunch time, really. But Blues had uh, got Barry Fry's manager, um, the, the evergreen Barry Fry, and, and he decided to sort of scrap the youth policy. Um, so I actually was at Wolves for, for nearly a year training. Um, and just then as I got to 14, as, uh, as I was about to sign schoolboy forms, Blues reformed, um, and, um, asked me immediately if I'd, you know, sign schoolboy forms with them, which I did. Um, so Wolves came back to me. They wanted me to sign, sign schoolboy forms. So, um, yeah, I, I ended up at Blues at 14 and, and that kind of started my career then um, with the club and um, had two years as a schoolboy, left school and, and was offered a, a scholarship. Yeah, were you a Blues fan, Darren? Or yes, way, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad's from Smallleaf. Um, my, all my, my family are Blues fans, so um, I never had any any choice in the matter. So um, I was always going to be a Blues fan. My first game, my dad took me to when I was five in 1988. So... Um, from that point on, I was yeah, I was down at St Andrews uh, pretty much every season, every week. Yeah, so if you'd have chosen Wolves, then we probably wouldn't be sitting here today, I imagine. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, how paths um, yeah. you take? So um, you was just lucky that Blues reformed when they did. Yeah, and sort of you, sort of coming into a bit of prominence and coming towards the first team, sort of early after the millennium, early two thousands. Sort of around that time, who was it? How did that come about? And who was it to give you a chance? Was it Trevor Francis who gave you a chance at, at Blues? No, so Trevor uh, was manager. Sort of, so going into my second year as a scholar, as a scholar, um, Trevor was manager, and we'd started the season, and he'd had me in a few squads. So I played in the pre-season friendly. Um, he'd had me sort of training with the first team here and there, but. I think with Trevor, um, he was more always leaned on the more experienced players. Um, he wasn't known really for, for bringing through younger players and he'd more go out and get a loan than, than bring through a younger player. So um, it was only when he left then in December, uh, Steve Bruce came in um, and I think it was one of Steve Bruce's first games um, at the Hawthorns against West Brom. Um, yeah, he, he gave me my debut sort of out of the blue. I'd, I'd been playing well. I'd had a really good season sort of playing in the reserves and um, I'd been in in and around the first team training and everything. Hadn't even made um, 
the 16. Uh, by that point, I'd been in squads, but I'd always been the one left in the stand. Um, so yeah, Brucey came in and, and and threw me straight in. Yeah, interesting. You made your debut against Albion as well. How your career transpired? It's it's crazy. Yeah, as my career goes over, as we talk about it, I, I ended up. It was quite weird how my debuts always came against clubs that that I yeah. either played. But I think for. your Albion debut on my research was against Blues. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it happened. Yeah, something funny through. in the works there. <laughs> just in terms, I'm just going to jump jump forward now. Steve Bruce gave you your chance. Um, just looking at the current Albion, obviously everyone knows what's gone on. Steve Bruce was relieved of his duties a, a month, be a month or so, or six weeks when this goes out. Um, what did you make of his spell at Albion? You know, people have said for a while, you know, he got a lot of stick at Newcastle. Maybe he's a bit too long in the tooth. He had a good managerial career. Did you did you think he could succeed at Albion, or you know, how did you sort of look look at it from from afar in terms of what happened there? Yeah, I think the the thing with Steve is, you know, I don't I don't just look at him. I look at his staff. I look at who he brought with him, and and I mean his experience as a manager speaks for itself, and his success that he's had. I know there's a you know a lot of um, comments out there about where he's at now, but you know his experience at getting out of the championship, um, you know, he's, he's clear to see. So he he knows what he's doing, um, and you know, I'm I'm a big believer that. You know, things don't just, um, you know, things aren't just happening for a reason at a football club. Obviously, we know Albion for a few years now, it's kind of, you know, hasn't been right. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't have laid it all on Steve, that's for sure. Um, I think he was, he would have got it right eventually, given some time. Um, But as we know in football, that's uh, something you don't get often as a manager. No, absolutely. And then just before, you know, Albion fans are probably screaming, I stop talking about Birmingham and get on to get on to the Albion stuff. But, you know, my first memory of Dan Carter was you scoring that penalty at the Millennium Stadium for the, the playoffs as a Blues fan. You know, that must have been uh, been right up there with a, a career highlight. Yeah, it's incredible, really, as the years go on. Um, I knew kind of at the time, you know, I felt like I was quite mature and uh, but it, it never sunk in really for years and years. And even now I look at it and, and it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but when you put it in context, as you get older and a bit wiser and a bit more sentimental, um, it does kind of resonate more with you. Um, and it's great that I can have them that memory with with Blues fans and um, just kind of my family as well and friends who are at the game and you know, it's it's so nice that the the memory the memory of that day is so vivid with everyone still uh, nearly twenty years old. My is twenty years yeah. Yeah, and you made the step up to the Premier League. I know you went out on loan to Sunderland as well. How did sort of how was that time, and and how did it sort of come to to an end at your boyhood club? That that must have been quite tough, you know, being inside your sport as a boy. Yeah, I think I had a couple of seasons then as we went up um, and I was sort of in and out and in and around the squad. And and as would happen at any club, you know, uh, they needed to strengthen. And, and obviously Steve brought in a lot of experienced players in my position, the likes of Robbie Savage and Stephen Clements. Um, you know, there was a lot more easy. So I knew that I'd kind of have to be patient. Um, and then it you know, transpired. I went to Sunderland on loan. Um, had a really good six months up there with Mick McCarthy. Um, came back, came back into the the Blues team, and uh, had a really good second half to the season in the Premier League. Um, and at the end of that year, then that's kind of when it, I was at a crossroads. Really, I, I knew that, and I felt that I was always going to be the young lad at Birmingham, um, and kind of you know was I going to be overlooked for for more experienced players? And again, I had that feeling that you know they knew my love for the club and kind of would I be the easy one to drop or leave out so it was more a decision to to sort of you know shed the 
the nest, if you like. Um, and in that summer then, I, originally, I was going to go back to Sunderland on loan uh, for the season uh, with Mick McCarthy. They got promoted that year as well into the Premier League. Um, so I was going to go back there with Mick until I got the call when I was on holiday from Steve Bruce that Brian Robson wanted to speak to me. So um, Brian was a, a hero of mine, a hero of my dad's growing up. Um, so it was always going to be a, you know, a, a chat with Brian to, to see kind of what he was saying. Yeah. And how do them moves work? I suppose, you know, you're from the from the West Midlands, you're at Birmingham, still in the area. Does that play a part as well? Obviously, Sunderland's, you know, you've been there on loan and, you're, you know, as you said, you enjoyed it, but that's mm. the other end of the country. Does that, does that sort of play a part and it being sort of local? And you know, I suppose you know a lot about West Brom being a, a local lad as well or from the, the yeah. West Midlands. Yeah, it does. And I think at that time, you know, moving away from Birmingham, I was still 21 at the time. So, you know, the, moving away, I think, isn't the, the one, you know, the thing that's jumping out most at you. But, um, you know, I was with my partner as well and all her family are from Rowley Regis, from Dudley. So, and a few were West Brom fans. Yeah. Um, so They're trying they, to bend, bend your arm. Yeah, as soon as I heard about that, it was, yeah, it was kind of one of them. Um, you know, they were trying to push me that way. But, yeah, yeah. Listen, it was kind of, uh, Brian Robson rang me, said, would I go and meet him? Um, and my agent at the time was was Cyril Regis, God bless him. And um, so me and Cyril went and, and met Brian. I think he was a, a, in a pub garden in Coventry somewhere. I don't know why yeah, uh, yeah. that was, but um, very Brian Robson. Uh, sat yeah, there I can imagine. Um, and yeah, me and Cyril sat down with him at an afternoon, kind of chatting away. And, and he kind of said to me his reasons that he wanted me to, to come to the club. And um yeah, I mean, I was in the, the presence of, of two legends and I was sat there thinking, you know, um, I've got Brian Robson, you know, t- uh, telling me that, you know, he wants me, you know, in his team and, and wants me to come to his club. So um, I think, yeah, I was sold pretty much before I even sat down. Yeah. How, how did that transpire that Cyril Reed just became your your agent? And, and yeah, just tell some stories about that. I must to be represented by, you know, when you play for West Brom, be represented by a a man like Cyril, but just in any walk of football, you know, the stature that he had, you know, what was that like? How did it come about? I think it was kind of, you know, I'd had, um, you know, a couple of bad experiences um, from when I was really, or when I first broke in at at Birmingham, just with agents. um, And I look back and think that was great that I had that then because it kind of taught me then, you know, not to, or who to trust and and to do your due diligence when, when picking an agent. Um, and then, yes, uh, Cyril was working for a, a company called Stella at the time and um, a guy called David Manassi, who I'd met um, sort of through uh, a couple of um, England games that I played in under 19s, under 20s. And so I got to know David first. Um, and then, yeah, when I decided to sign with Stella, Cyril was was part of that group and looked after the Midlands players. So, um, yeah, I was lucky enough then to, to have Cyril as, as my you know go-to, my agent. Um, and, yeah, I had... A good four or five years, I think, with Cyril in the end, might be might have been six. Yeah, and what was that like dealing with him? What what was he like to to deal with as an agent? I suppose as a player, he gets it, doesn't he? And players who are agents get it. That's it. You know, Cyril knew everything. You know, the ins and outs of of playing, and and obviously he's on the other side now, so he's seen the business side and everything else, how clubs worked, and you know his experience and you know guidance at that time was exactly what I needed. He was someone I knew I could trust. You know, that was ultimately the big thing for me. Um, and yeah, obviously then when he came to, to the move to West Brom, he, he knew the club inside out. So um, yeah, he gave me every uh, bit of information I needed. Yeah, I'm sure he was twisting your arm as well as a former 
a former baggy to, to head to the Hawthorns. Yeah, I think he, <laughs> Cyril was. Yeah, he was. He was honest and said, "Listen, you know, his affiliation with the club, and he'd love to see me go there, but ultimately, you know, it needed to be right for me, and and I needed to be comfortable with it." So. Um, yeah, uh, he, he was great. Yeah, but he did sort of, sort of give me a little nudge that way. That's yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. What was it like walking into that dressing room? Because you come in on the back of the Great Escape. Um, some big, big characters in that dressing room already there and signed as well that summer. Um, what was it like? Who were the who were the loud the loud ones? Who were the the big characters? What was it like for you? You know, you're still quite young and uh, you know relatively sort of raw in in professional football. Yeah, I think, and again, not to, to hop back to Blues too much, but the, the dressing room I went into at Blues when I was, you know, 18 and making my debut was full of them characters. Um, and, you know, some of them were in that West Brom dressing room, then Darren Purse, Jeff Horsfield. Um, so obviously I knew them straight away and I could gravitate to them. But again, you looked around, you had Paul Robinson, you know, John O'Green in, um, Darren Moore, obviously, Andy Johnson. Um, so you could tell straight away that they had a, a core of, of proper professionals, people who, you know, took football and took their careers seriously. And um, there was no joking around. Well, there was joking around, but in the right way uh, with them guys, it was kind of they knew a line um, of when, OK, it's business now, it's, it's down to, to work and then when to, you know, step away and, and have a bit of fun. So, um yeah, it was a great dressing room to go into and, and very similar to, to what I'd experienced at Blues, in, in all honesty. Yeah, and just looking from the from the start, obviously, I think, you know, looking back as an Albion fan, there's a lot of optimism about that season. When you came in, what was you, were you coming in? Did Brian Robson tell you you were going to be a regular? Because I believe that you sort of took a while to sort of break into the into the side early on. Were you, you know, you had that six months at Birmingham where you'd played in the, the back end of that season. Um, were you going to come in and, and hopefully sort of come in straight as a, as a starter? No, I think, you know, my, my conversations with Brian were always to come in um, and, and listen, Brian is the type of character that you earn your way. Um, you're not just giving it. Um, and, and that's how I operated anyway. You know, I knew that I was off the back of my best season, really, in, in football with the, the six months at Sunderland and then coming back and having a, a good second half of the season with Blues in the Premier League. So I was confident. Um, but yeah, I was never one of them that expected to come in and play. Obviously, I wanted to, but um Again, coming into that dressing room with them characters, you, you know, I knew I'd have to earn it. Um, you know, there's some very good players there and experienced ones again. Um, so it didn't surprise me that it took me a little bit to get into the team. Yeah, yeah. Just on that, you said big characters. We talked about that. Sort of off the top of your head, any sort of standout stories in there? Because you have got, you know, your Horsefields, your Campbells, Andy Johnson, Darren Moore, Darren Purse. You know, is there any funny, funny tales that can be told on a on a family podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there's the there's there's that many. I mean, um, listen, John O'Greening was was hilarious. Um, I don't know if you know it's out there now. Some of his sayings he'd come out with, he'd just be you know very um, very Jono. Um, you know, had a, a couple of classic lines where I think we were going on a um, we had our Christmas uh, Christmas party booked, um, and it was always around obviously um, you know the start of December, which is kind of my partner's birthday and. Um, it just felt that yeah, my partner was was turning 21. Um, so I said I just can't go on the on the Christmas party, and we're sitting around having lunch, and the lads are obviously giving me a little bit of stick, and you know as they do, and you know Jono turned around trying to defend me, bless him, and just went you know leave Carts alone. He's he's going on his missus' 21th birthday, and um, <laughs> I thought, what was that Jono? And uh, 21th birthday, she's she's 20, she's 21. I went yeah, it's the 21st Jono, and. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, there was there was plenty of Jono Jonoism uh, isms around um, at that time. Um, he did ask once if there was one son. Um, that's it, yeah, that's the famous line, isn't it? There's a fair few others that um, I'm sure pop into my head as we go along. But uh, <laughs> no, it was a great bunch just because they were all characters. Kev Campbell, as you mentioned there, Kev was brilliant. His stories from his um, his time, you know, at Arsenal and Everton and, and everything else, um, you know, and. They were just, yeah, they were just characters. Andy Johnson, Jeff Horsfield. Um, it was constant, constant laughter around the dressing room. Yeah, what was it like? I listened to a lot of podcasts from players who played a while ago, and you talk about, you know, football, drink, English football, drinking culture. What was it like around around that time? Because I imagine it's sort of starting to turn into the what it is. To, obviously, everyone was professional then, but it started to turn into what it is today, where that, you know, it's completely banished today. But you know, as you said, big characters. There's a lot of sort of nights out. Obviously, you mentioned a Christmas do there as well. What was it like at Albion at that time? Yeah, I think you're right. It was kind of the 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 tipping point, really. The balance of um, you know social media wasn't quite in then, and, and camera phones were you know were, were were starting to to come in. So um, I think that's what turned it. And and you know we now see that players and you know can't move without having a camera or video in their face. So at that time, yeah, it was still kind of sheltered. So you could have the the team team bonding nights and you could have the the nights out um and again i think it was just accepted wasn't it when you look at all the great teams down the years you know the united teams we talk about brucey and, and brian robson you know that was a a thing wasn't it it was a proper drinking culture if you weren't out drinking with everybody then you know you got ostracized and um so yeah there, there was plenty but again it was kind of a group that never took it too far it was kind of when we're, we're in to play we've got games or we're preparing right for for games then you know it's full focus um when you can let your hair down and, and have a drink and um and relax a little bit as a group we took full advantage um so but yeah i've never been a big drinker myself anyway so but you did you know it was expected that you was out with the the boys if everyone was out it was a team thing so um yeah there was plenty of them dotted about yeah yeah, and just in terms of yourself, you broke into the side, and then I think probably the overriding memory that a lot of Albion fans have got of you, Darren, is that wonderful goal in the win against Arsenal. Um, was that when really when you sort of burst onto the scene at Albion? You know, you got your foot in the door, you're in the side. Then I think you played, you know, a number of games that season. I think it was thirty odd the following season. But was that the moment where you sort of announced yourself almost to the to the Albion fans? Yeah, it was a, a fantastic moment, really. I'd been kind of itching to to get in. And I think I played, a, I'd obviously played, made my debut. I played a couple of games and, um, you know, I hadn't hadn't really got into a rhythm. I didn't I didn't feel like I had the, the, the previous season. Um, and it's probably the first time in my career I'd um, felt a little bit, not a pressure, but kind of, you know, there was a, a couple of, um, you know, People starting to criticise, you know, is it the, you know, is he the player that we need and, and et cetera. And so the, the Arsenal goal obviously propelled me then and, and should have really kicked me on. But my season never got going that first year. And, and and again, I think it was just me trying to deal with criticism for the first time. Yeah. Uh, was that from the supporters or the media or, you know, management staff or? I think, no, it was, I mean, the, the players and staff were, were absolutely great. You know, there was a few supporters and listen, that that's, that's normal in football, isn't it? You know, um, everybody has an opinion and there was a bit of criticism thrown my way early. And again, I think there was that that blues thing um, with a few, um, you know, later on in my, my career, speaking to a few people, you know, yeah. there was that coming from blues. Um, 
But how do people view that, Dan? You know, you're a Blues fan. I'm an Albion fan. I don't live in the vicinity of Albion. I live about an hour or so away. You know, Wolves, I'm brought up to sort of not like Wolves. Mm. Um, you know, Villa a little bit. But with Blues, I don't really see a bit of a rival. Is, is that a case? You know, you, you, you still live in the area of Blues fan as well. Is that Was that a thing then? Or did, did that annoy you that people were bringing that up? Um it, to me, it wasn't. Obviously, I was, you know, born and bred a Blues fan, so yeah, yeah. Was, the Villa rivalry was ours, but and it was Wolves West Brom. Um, that was the, you know, the the two. But yeah, I never felt that there was a rivalry there. You know, I loved the games. I, I genuinely thought the games were were great. The atmosphere between, you know, Blues and Baggies. Um, I've been as a fan, and I'd always loved them at St Andrews and at the Hawthorns. So, you know, I don't call it a friendly rivalry, but it's kind of a rivalry that's, you know, it's not too fierce, and um, but both teams want to win. Uh, but there's not really that hatred, if you like. Um, so, yeah, I, did it annoy me? I, listen, I, at the time, you know, I kind of understood it. You know, I, it, you're a Blues fan coming into West Brom, but, um, and, you know, I was just known for being at Blues. Um, but, yeah, my performances weren't there. I knew that I wasn't playing well, and, and that affected me. The, the, the first time, as I say, I was sheltered a little bit of Blues. Um, and when I went to Sunday, I had a great time. So my, my, my career, I'd never had a period in my career where my form dipped um, and my confidence dipped. So that that first season at West Brom, I really struggled to get um, to get a rhythm and and kind of Brian Robson, in all fairness to him, he understood this and he took me out at times and and shouted me a little bit when he needed to and tried to bring me in off the bench and get me into a rhythm. Um, so Brian was brilliant in that sense, but yeah, it just never never happened for me that first season and it was a lot to do with confidence and it was me dealing with with that and sort of criticism really for the first time in my career. Yeah, just in terms of, you know, we've had a, a lot of your former teammates on from there. We have Paul Robinson on, Andy Johnson last week, Darren Moore as well. And it always, that season fascinates me because you, if you look at the Albion squad on paper of what they already had from the greatest year and what they added to it, you know, yourself came in, you know, there was a number of other, I think Steve Watson came in, experience at the back, you know, a number, Nigel Quasi came in that season as well. And at one point, it looked like you're going to go and have a really good season. I think you beat Everton 4 0, you know, the front line, Earnshaw, Ellington, Kamara, um, Campbell, Borsfield, but I, it's I still fascinates fascinates me to this day. What sort of went wrong? Because it just just sort of to fall off a, a cliff almost. What was it like from the in, inside of it? Because at, at one point, middle of the season, it looked like Albion were going to have a good season and sort of build on, build and, and you know do what they did a few years later and have a few good years in the Premier League. But from the inside, looking back on it, what how does it sort of how do you remember it? Yeah, I'll probably sum up the, the two years at West Brom as, you know, can't quite explain it because first year, like you say, there was a real good um, energy and vibe around the, the squad. And as you say, we we, we started the, the first half of the season and we got some good results. And, you know, you mentioned the Everton one there and, you know, we kind of, um, there was a confidence we, we'd be fine and we'd stay up. But I genuinely, again, listen, luck, luck does play a part in seasons. Um, I felt like we were we were unfortunate in some games, you know, especially against a couple of the top teams at home. I remember us, you know, not getting the rub of the green and losing games. And you felt, you know, we were getting punished for for the odd mistake. It wasn't like we were playing badly. It just felt like we were getting punished. Um, and then, yeah, second half of the season, it just, yeah, we just never got the points, never got the, the results we needed. Um but it wasn't as if it was, you know, a, a drab place to be or, you know, a down, 
downbeat atmosphere. Um, it, it was genuinely that we had the confidence we were going to stay up. Um, but I think, yeah, we I, I think we were unfortunate that year. I really do to, to go down. And but ultimately, that's football, and you get punished at the highest level. But it just did feel like we weren't getting any kind of rub of the green, um, and we were getting punished for every little mistake. Yeah. So you go down, you know, obviously that summer. Um, I think you know you've got a good squad already. I think the odd player might have left, but your strength. I think Kevin Phillips came in, John Hartson came in. You know, going into that preseason, you must have been looking at this squad going, "We're going to absolutely blitz the championship." Because if you looked at it, you know, no one really, none of the big hitters left. You know, I think Jason Kumas came back in from a loan spell. Green in, Cor- I think Coram was there at that point. Gira, yourself, you know, you look at that midfield, let alone the front line. You must have been thinking, you know, we're going to go straight back up here. Yeah, that I remember that off season. I finished the season, and I was literally my mindset was right. I'm coming back as fit as I possibly can. I was I was disappointed, obviously, to go down. Disappointed with my season as an in, you know individually, um, and I had the bit between my teeth. And I, I worked you know ridiculously hard that summer. I had a real um, kind of mindset and focus coming back in. Um, and I remember speaking to to Nate Ellington. I was very close with him. You know, my best mate's Curtis Davis, and um, I remember having you know, conversations with both of them because there was interest from from Premier League teams. You know, Curtis in particular had a, a fair few teams vying for his signature. Um, and I was trying to convince them to, to stay, give it a season, you know, at least to, to to try and, you know, get get us back up. And, you know, fortunately they stayed. As you say, Kumas came back. You know, he was, you know, incredible to have him back in, just his talent. Diamancy started the season on fire. He struck up a really great relationship with uh, with Kev Phillips, uh, John Hartson, obviously John was a, a character and such a great presence to have in in, in the squad and the experience. Um, so the, the balance of the squad was excellent. It really was. John O'Green in his day, Paul Robinson. Um, so Chris Perry came in as well. So we had such a nice blend of experience and youth. Um, and it's one of the, thoroughly one of the most enjoyable seasons of my career, uh, if if I'm being honest. Just the characters we had, um, and again, as much as it was the most enjoyable, it's probably one of the most disappointing at the end. You yeah. know, I've never been so sure of us being promoted um, to then being so disappointed um, at losing in the playoff final. I I was, you know, like yourself, saying there, so confident we'd we'd finish in the top two with the squad we had and the talent we had. When we got went into the playoffs, I was still super confident we'd win it, even when we got to the final against Derby. Um, until that goal went in, you know, um, yeah. supremely confident, and then it just seemed like everything transpired against us, and and somehow we um, we never went up. Um, and that is genuinely as as gutted as I've ever been. I think after a season, um, you know, even more gutted than than going down the year before, silly as it sounds, um, because I was so so sure and. And even to this day, I, I look at it and so say we should have gone back up that year. Yeah. Just you mentioned, we talked about John Hartson there and, you know, he's a big character. John, I know reading his book, you know, he didn't overly enjoy his time at West Brom. And I know that's when he first became sort of ill and, and went through his sort of struggles um, with um, with illness. But what was he like around the place? I imagine there's some funny stories about, about John Hartson because, as we know, sort of, you know, big guy, you know, scored goals, but he's such a character. You know, what was he like for a, a young sort of you know, 22 at the time to, to to play with and alongside? There must be some funny tales from from the dressing room from John. Yeah, John was just he was he was non-stop, and he, he, 
you know, above anything, was a great guy. Um, he actually bought a place in Solihull, which was by me. So um, kind of got to know John really well while he was looking for a house, um, you know, for his family. And um, yeah, John had just been there, seen it all and done it all. You know, um, I remember he's uh, one of his first games and he was on the bench and we're, we're lining up to go out and he's kind of coming through and asking people, where's the bench? I've, I don't think, I've never been on the bench that much. Where is it? And, <laughs> you know, um, he, he just have, yeah, some of his stories and kind of, you know, things that he'd done over his career, obviously were quite wild. Um, probably again, not, uh, for, for a family podcast, but, um, but yeah, he, Again, he talked about all the controversial things he'd done in his career. And, you know, it was quite funny, actually, in pre-season, we'd done the bleep test. Um, and I remember standing there on the line, ready to go with John. And he kind of turned to me and he went, Carts, I've played in Champions League, I've played in FA Cup finals, big Premier League games. And I'm more nervous now standing on this line than I was in any of them. Yeah. <laughs> ready to do the bleep test. So, um but yeah, John was a great character. And as I say, we had some really good ones in that squad uh, that year. And um yeah we had a, we had a lot of fun yeah and then on that that season you know it didn't start particularly well for Brian Robson you know lost his job very very early on you know what what sort of happened as we said there the squad was exceptional on paper but just never really got going for for Robson that season yeah I, I felt um I felt sorry for Brian and it was an again over my career looking back when managers you know had lost their jobs that was probably one of the most emotional because of how Brian was as well. I remember him coming into the training ground sort of the, the day after um, to say his goodbyes. He was really emotional. Um, and I think, yeah, I, in all honesty, I thought it was, you know, um, the wrong decision at the time. I don't think, you know... I think you were about fourth in the table at the time. I think yeah, you were still in the playoff places. Yeah, we hadn't we hadn't started badly. You know, we hadn't started probably how everyone wanted us to, but um, you felt like we was, we was getting there. Um, so, yeah, I felt really sorry for Brian and I was gutted, obviously, um, as all the players was. Um, but obviously that turned in then to, to Tony Mowbray coming in the door. And um, but I remember that little interim pretty period uh, where Nigel Pearson took over and I think we went to Palace and 1-2-0. We went to Ipswich 1-5-1. Um, and for a while we thought Nigel would potentially take the job or they'd give Nigel the job. Um, obviously then Tony came in, um, which... You know, completely changed how we, how the style of, of play and how we wanted to play. And um, you know, for me, Tony was was such a, a big influence, really. And he's and it has been since I've become a coach. You know, you take you know as a player, you take all your managers and coaches over the years and blend together your own kind of you know way of doing things and philosophy. And I took a lot from Tony because his style of play was obviously about you know ball possession, being on the ball, and for a midfield player. For me, that was ex, you know exactly what I needed. Um, so yeah, it was kind of going from one style to another mid-season, um, but we yeah we managed to get it going a bit. Right, time for an advert, and as always, this podcast is brought to you in association with the Kellen Toaster Man, the graded product specialist. We're in the middle of winter now; things are getting a bit colder. If you want to heat your home up a little bit, you want some small devices to keep warm in your home during this winter. Head over to the Kettle and Toast Man. He's got a range of products. He's got one here. I've got one in front of me. A warm, light, traditional convection heater. 200 watt for just £15. If you're working from home, don't want to put the heating on, but you want to get a little bit toasty, you can stick that on for a little while and uh, and warm up. And there's a load of other products at the Kettle and Toaster Man um, to look at across this winter. And we're heading to the Christmas period. So as ever, uh, if you're looking for to buy something for your loved one this Christmas, head over to 
kettleandtoasterman.co.uk or if you want to have a look in store at their products, you can head to Thorns Road in Briley Hill. Right, back to Darren Carter. Yeah, you mentioned Nigel Pearson there. He's, you know, a character that fascinates a lot of people, can be quite an intimidating character as he sees at Bristol City at the moment. What was he like in them games and, and to deal with as an assistant? Was he quite, you know, I can imagine he's sort of stern-faced and can hand out a, a rollicking if he has to. Yeah, Nigel, he's... He, what you see is what you get. And, you know, I love Nige just because he, he kind of had that school teacher vibe to him a little bit. You know, lads after training, you know, they're like trying to get the footballs to do some shooting and, and, you know, kick a few balls about. And he'd be like, leave the balls, getting them in, sending lads in and, um, you know, saying you've done enough. Um, so, yeah, Nige was, you know, he, he would rule with an iron fist a little bit, but um, he still knew when to have a a laugh with you and a joke and he was a great guy you know got a lot of time for knowledge and as I say I, I, I think we all thought at one stage he, he may be given the job you know we'd had a you know, really good run of form uh, while he took over in that little um, transitional period and um, I say that one of the, the standout results of that season was going to, to Ipswich and winning 5-1 so um, yeah it was it was yeah Gutting to see Nige go um, as well um, because as I say he was, he was as well respected as, as Brian was. Yeah, what was your first impressions of Tony Mowbray coming? I imagine not a lot of people sort of obviously knew about him as a player, but he's relatively a rookie as a manager. I think he came from Hibernian his first job. Um, what was his first impressions? Can you remember your first sort of meeting with him and what he was like? Yeah, I think kind of um, Tony was was probably one of the first managers that I felt um, wanted to know about you as a person. You know, I, I think he was. And probably he was a new breed of manager at that stage, um, getting to know the players a bit more and, and kind of showing that he cares, not just about you as a footballer, but what's going on off the pitch. Um, so he was he was a great guy, Tony, really great guy. And, and he, his first few sessions, you could tell he had a clear way of how he wanted to do things. Um, and he didn't overcomplicate it, which, you know, at first I think was um, refreshing. You know, it was kind of the drills we were doing and training was always very, you know, everything was with the ball, but it was very um, simplified and, you know, about moving the ball, but he'd then build it up. Um, so, as I say, for me as a midfield player, wanting to get on the ball, um, I loved it. You know, I really did. And, um, but yeah, he was the first manager that kind of showed a bit of, you know, a bit more empathy. Um, uh, and, it could, you know, that endeared, I think, the players to him. Yeah, is that another thing you've taken into your management? So imagine, you know, Brian Robson, you know, we, we hear about him as a very good man manager, but I suppose he came through in a period where, you know, you were quite hard and, you know, I'm sure mm. empathy wasn't a thing for managers when he was playing. You know, is that something you've taken into your sort of head coach roles that you're in at the moment? Yeah, I think you have to now. It's, it's a different generation. Um, the game has evolved so much over, you know, the the 20 odd years that I've been, you know, I was a player. Um, from when I first stepped in at, at Birmingham, that dressing room at West Brom, um, to what you see now, um, you know the younger players coming through. It, it's just a different era, and you can you can see the game has changed a lot. Um, and empathy is a big thing. I you know I feel that managers and coaches need. Um, there's a balance, of course, but um, yeah, to to really kind of get to know your players now and and get you know see how they tick. Um, and again you know, the age of social media and so much now around the game that wasn't there 20 years ago. Um, you have to manage so much more than, than you know, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce did that, had to yeah. all them years ago. Um, so, yeah, I think managing now or being a head coach, uh, you need to have a lot of people skills and, and, and that, you know, player management is certainly uh, a big, big key. Yeah. 
Yeah, just in the, on that season, I think he played 33 times, um, which is a lot considering the midfield that, that Albion had at the time. You know, as we said, it wasn't just numbers, it was quality as well. So to play that amount of games that season must have been, you know, quite, quite an achievement really for a, for a young midfielder. I know you played in the Premier League, but given who you were playing around and competing with. Yeah, as I say, I loved that season because I come back with a real determination um, to have a better season than I had the previous one. Um, and kind of, you know, up until when, when Tony came in, Tony was more, he, he did rotate the squad a little bit. So he rotated us as uh, midfielders. Um, so, yeah, I, I managed to stay fit. I think there was only one, you know, couple of weeks where I had an hamstring injury, but um, and I had a couple of suspensions in there. Um, uh as well because um, I think that season was probably the most bookings I'd ever got uh, in a season yeah. and, a, and a sending off but um, yeah it, it, it was a great season I felt like I got into a rhythm I felt comfortable and felt like I was contributing um, so yeah the, the, the icing on the cake was just going and getting promotion so that's I think why I was was so gutted at the end of it yeah and that season what was the highlight for you and you know with I think Albion beat Wolves four times out of five that year. That's my overriding memory of the of the campaign. I forget about the derby, the derby loss. But what was it like for you? And what was it like playing in those those games? Obviously, a club you turned down as a kid, and you know, huge derbies that Albion had the upper hand over on a, that season. What was it like for you? Yeah, it, it was great. Um, I think that the standout we went there in the FA Cup didn't we? And won three nil. Remember Zoltan scoring a, a towering uh, head. What was it a bicycle kick? It was a header, header I think it was. Yeah, yeah, for a call. Uh, I know Zoltan had, had both in his locker. Um, but also the game then in the playoffs where we won 3 2. Um, so I think Kev got two goals. Uh, or oh, sorry, no, um, Diamanti got two goals, didn't he? And, uh, and Kev got one. So um, that, was a, that was a great game. So I started the game on the bench and Richard Chaplow got injured, I think, 20 minutes in. Um, so I came in. Uh, into the fire, if you like, in that game. And we ended up winning that. Um, and then obviously winning the, the second leg to get to Wembley. So, um, yeah, the Wolves games were certainly a standout. As I mentioned, I thought the Ipswich game was a standout of the, the season as well. That two-game period, I think we had Ipswich on the Saturday and Palace away on the Tuesday. And, and we went and won 5-1 at Ipswich and 2-0 and against Palace. And, and I think Tony Mowbray was in the stand watching them games. Um, and obviously, Nigel was, was interim manager. Um, but that... That Ipswich game stands out for me in more ways than one. That we um, we won five one. Um, Kev Phillips could have passed me the ball for his for his hat trick goal, but scored and put it in the, the stanchion. And that um, I was on four bookings. Um, and I th- it was five one. I think it was the ninety first, ninety second minute. I can't remember who's played me through. And I've gone through, gone round the keeper and put it in. Um, not heard a whistle at all. Turn round, referee's running at me and shows me a yellow card. And I remember saying to the ref, like, I, I genuinely didn't hear a, a whistle. I said, why are you booking me for? He says, time wasting. I was like, well, five, one up. It's the 92nd minute. How can I be time wasting? You know, and yeah. I said, you just give me my fifth book in there, ref. And I knew it was Wolves at home in the league the following oh, really? And I, yeah. missed, I missed the Wolves game at home. I think it was a lunchtime kickoff. It was um, it Mowbray's first game in charge, I think, wasn't it? it was yes. It three, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, that's right. I played in the Palace game in the week, so I didn't get to miss that one. But then the following Saturday was was Wolves. Um, so I, I always remember saying to the referee after the game, going to see him and saying, you, "You've literally cost me now a, a chance to play in a derby game, one of the biggest games of the season, for a booking that's just absolutely needless." And obviously, you can't challenge yellows, can you? You can't overturn them. And 
so yeah, so that was a, a frustrating, um, a frustrating following Saturday watching um, watching the team win. We won the game obviously against Wolves, didn't we at home? But not being able to be part of it for a, a silly, stupid uh, yellow card the week before. I imagine people wonder why refs get get stick sometimes. Well, um, yeah, it it all ended. That's it. You know, the, the, as you said, there the three two and the one nil at home. You know, pitching village. I think Kevin Phillips scored in the in the home the home leg. You're heading to Wembley, Derby. You know, massive. Albion were favourite. You were favourites going into the game, weren't you? And it showed. You know, right until Derby scored, it was just like wave after wave after wave after wave of attack. We had Darren Moore on last week. He was obviously playing for Derby at the time, mm. and he was saying how Albion dominated the the game. It was one of them. Still looking back now, you, you, it's hard to fathom how Albion actually lost that game. You know, I imagine that's that's the thoughts of yourselves who were involved in it. Yeah, I, I just remember because obviously I was on the bench that day and and. Again, just had a, an overriding confidence going into it that we were going to win, um, and it was more an excitement for me. You know, not probably an overconfidence, but um, I felt like we were go- coming to Wembley. You know, uh, packed out um, end of West Brom fans, and it's a chance for us to win and go up and celebrate uh, what had been a you know a, a really enjoyable season for me. I- I'd loved it, um, and hadn't really thought about kind of the consequences after if we didn't go up. Um, again, I mentioned you know the start of the season with Curtis and Nathan and Paul Robinson, all these players kind of having Premier League interest. I did, hadn't thought about the ramifications if we didn't win. Um, so that kind of yeah, the, the game started and we we did we started really well, didn't we? I think Kev Phillips hit the bar and we had chances and kind of then that sucker punch of a goal went in. And I remember you know me and Nathan Ellington coming on with about half an hour to go with, and again just having that bit between my teeth. Right, we can be game changers here and. Um, as it sounds, and I watched it back not long ago. There was a, actually Moro, and I've spoke to him about this over the years. That um, I was adamant I should have had a penalty. You know, I went into the box, touched it round. Yeah. There was can't I think there was VAR back then. Um, I'd have got a penalty, um, and I can't believe that. You know, uh, the referee. I remember watching it back and my reaction and everything. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the end of the game was just. Yeah, as gutting a feeling as I've had in in my career because I think it all hit me then. The fact that we hadn't gone up, we should have gone up, um, and then it was kind of the ramifications of are we just gonna this squad's just gonna be completely picked apart now uh, um, going into the summer. Yeah, that summer, you know, you know, everyone was gutted, wasn't they? You know, losing at losing at Wembley is you know the the worst way to sort of be denied promotion but what was the, what was going into that summer and how did it transpire for you obviously you left the club but was that the did you know that your time at Albion was coming to an end or were you sort of thinking right head down again go again no I, I had no intentions of, of leaving I, I spoke to sort of Tony Mowbray at the end of the season and kind of he had said to me that um uh about potentially extending my contract um but he kind of had said to me about uh, it had been similar to the season that we just had. It was kind of, he wanted to rotate it a little bit. And um, I'd got in my mind, I wanted to play every game. or I felt like I was in a a, a, a mind frame and, and kind of a, a stage in my career where I wanted to start every game. Because you had your, you had your starters like Paul Robinson, John O'Greening was starting, but then he'd rotate people like myself and uh, Richard Chaplow. And, you know, so it was kind of, you know, I felt like I wanted to start every game, but I was happy. I'd really enjoyed that season. I'd loved the squad. Again, there was, you know, an optimism that we could keep a lot of the squad, even though um, we were going into the second season of no Premier League football for some of the players. And there was interest again from, from for a lot of them. Um, so I had no intention uh, of leaving and, and kind of the, the move 
to Preston came about really, really quickly, like literally over the space of 24, 48 hours. And I, was it sort of amicable? How did it end with sort of Tony Mowbray? Was it, was it quite amicable? You know, you wanted to go and play and, you know, he had a lot of options in there. What was it? Can you remember how it sort of all culminated at the end? Yeah, it was it was amicable. Like I say, Tony was a great guy, and and uh, it was very honest with with how he seen it for me. And as I say, you know, there was talk about me extending my contract and and staying on. And um, but yeah, I, I had a real bee in my bonnet. And and people always ask me after my career, do you have any regrets? And you know, obviously my my career and my life took the path that he did. And you know, I don't like to say regrets, but if I had to pick one. It was that moment, leaving West Brom, um, going to Preston. I mean, I went to Preston with the intent of obviously challenging to go into the Premier League. Preston had a good season, just missed out the year before um, on the playoffs. But, you know, we're building to, to really have a good go. Um, but I didn't realise what I was going into at Preston. You know, I hadn't got a full picture of, of how things kind of weren't right there at the time. Um so yeah, leaving West Brom and going to Preston. Then we had a you know an up and down season at Preston. West Brom then the following year go back up. Um, so it wasn't just for that. It was just kind of you know it wasn't a decision where like oh yes I'm leaving. It was kind of oh, is it best for me? I've got a manager who's saying I'll play every game in a team that's going to be challenging, but it didn't transpire in that in that way. Um, so yeah, if I had one regret over my career, it was certainly probably leaving West Brom when I did. You know, I should have stayed, and potentially then could have been a Premier League player the following, the following season. Yeah, and you had a few years at, at Preston, sort of stop start. You worked under a, a manager who went on to manage Albion and Alan Irvine, I think, at one point. What, That's right. what? Just, just for Albion fans, you know, it didn't quite work out at Albion. He's always been sort of a coach, and I think that was one of his. Preston and Albion were probably two of the only managerial jobs he actually had. What was he like to work under? Was he more of a coach than a than a manager? Can you see why he's had success as a coach rather than a manager? Yeah. 100%. And, and again, I learned so much off Alan in terms of coaching. You know, he was, you know, Tony Tony Mowbray was excellent. I thought he was a great coach. But Alan was the first sort of coach I'd worked under who had just an absolute array of sessions, had a, an array of, um, you know, ideas on on uh, and principles and stuff. And, and he was a great guy. Alan, he's, you know, he's a top, top guy. And probably that's, you know, he didn't have kind of, I'm not saying you have to have that ruthlessness as such. But yeah, I just think he was too much of a nice guy uh, and, he, and he was overly detailed. I think he wanted to cover every single detail. And for some players, that was a little bit too much. Um, you know, players, football players, are, you know, um, are simple characters when it comes to, you know, the detail you have to, you can give some can take some, a lot of detail, others can't. Uh, so it's striking that balance. Um, but with Alan, it was kind of, he wanted to make sure you knew everything um so meetings were long you know there was a lot of detail going into what he was doing and, and as much as it was great detail as I say I think some players really struggle with that um but from a coaching standpoint on the grass he was he was brilliant one of the one of the best that I'd worked with yeah can you see why he's succeed? I think he's I don't know if he's still with David Moyes at West Ham but he was with Moyes for quite a long time you know why he succeeded at the top level because that is what you know analysis data that's all you know that was probably what 2006 probably a little bit before his sort of time with the level of detail and can, and on the flip side can you understand why it didn't work at Albion maybe in the Premier League as a number one yeah I, I think so um I think Alan is you know um he's he's a perfect number two because he's, he's so well respected well so like uh, well liked with the the players um 
and you need to be in that in that role. You know, you're the go between between the, the manager and the, and the players. So, um, and yeah, listen, that the higher you go, the the more level of detail you can go into. Um, so yeah, I'm not surprised that Alan has has had the career he's had um, because, as I say, he's 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 a top coach. The way he articulates that and gets that across, the way he delivers that on the grass, um, and he does it in a manner that you know he's really relatable as well, and, and players will listen. Yeah, just sort of final on your playing career, and then we'll just briefly touch on on your coaching before we before we end. Um, sort of came to end at Preston. I think you went on loan to Millwall. Um, suffered a bit with injuries, and then I know you were sort of on trial or training back in the Midlands with Birmingham. I believe you sort of spent a little period at Walsall with playing or training with their sort of a side down there. I'm guessing that must have been quite nice to to keep you fit. You know, local club sort of obviously your old club as well. Yeah, helping you out and, and keeping you keeping you fit and going. Yeah, I, I kind of had a, a bad adductor injury. I tore the the, the muscle, the adductor off off the bone, and had a you know a bit of an infection after. So I had a really turbulent year trying to get back fit, and I was out of contract. I'd left Preston, so you know Blues looked after me. I knew the guys there, and and Dean Smith was at Walls at Warsaw, sorry at the the, the time. Um, so I went and trained and, and played in the reserve game there to get my fitness back up. And um, yeah, I was close to going back to to Blues. You know, Chris Shooting was manager um, the first year. Um, and then Lee Clark the following year, um, and Lee Clark was, you know, very, um, very much like Chris. They they had a, you know, some players. I think they needed to 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 get off the books if if I was to come in, um, which is always you know easier said than done. And um, so yeah, it just let it left then. That I needed to play. I needed to go and get games, and and ended up with um, with Cheltenham. Um, for for a year to get myself back playing, and then you know, for, uh, sorry, Northampton after that for a couple of years with Adi Bufroyd, a, a player, a manager. I'd kind of had a lot to do with in my career, but never played under. Um, uh, and then yeah, Forest Green. Yeah, I'd, what was that like? Because you know, within a couple of years, and this is no detriment to your, you know, football happens. You know, you're with Albion and sort of flirting around the Premier League, and then you, you know, you come back and you, you know, have got a really good legacy at Solihull now. But w- was it difficult? You know, you played in the Premier League, played with Albion. Was it difficult to make that sort of step down, or was there chances to stay at a higher level or or other opportunities? Yeah, so the injury came pretty much. I was 27, just turning 28. Um, so so the in, in your prime, really. Prime, time, yeah. yeah. And um, it was it's quite it's quite funny reflecting now because um, I left Preston, so I was out of contract. So Phil Brown was actually wanting me to go back there and, and was trying to sort something with the chairman. He was having a few problems um, that side. So I went and trained at Blues. So I had Chris Shooting on that side then saying, oh, there could be potentially something here for you if I, you know, um, if I think he had to strengthen in other areas first. But he was kind of um, saying to me that there could be a potential uh, year here for you. Um, and in the interim then, I kind of, I floated about. I went down to Brighton, uh, trained with Brighton with Gus Poyet for a week. Uh, had a really good week down there. Um, and then I went to Forest. Um, so Steve Cottrell was manager at Nottingham Forest. Um, John O'Greeny was there by this time. So I knew a few lads there and played in a, a training ground game, um, a friendly. Um, and I remember, you know, the we played against Watford. Um, and in the Forest team, you had the likes of McGoldrick and, and Andy Reid. So we had a really strong team out and I played. And um, my agent was there. Um, a guy called Phil Sproson was sat, uh, stood on the side with, with Steve Cottrell, um, and I later knew then that they were talking about potentially a, a contract, me um, going to Forest, who were obviously in the Championship at the time. Um, and I ended up tearing my doctor in that game, literally right before half time. Uh, and that was the defining moment I would probably say in my career then, 
that, as I say, I had a year then completely out of the game um, to rehab, get back and had infections and everything. And when I came back, it's quite funny, this is how football can work sometimes, that people thought I was older than I actually was. Because I'd yeah. maybe when I was obviously 18, um, my agent, Phil, I remember at times, he said people were, were coming back to him going, well, you know, isn't he 30 now and he's on, on the back of a bad injury, blah, blah, blah. And well, no, he's only 28. You know, it's... So it was it was a hard sell, I think, at that time then. And um, yeah, I, I, I seen the the tough side and the ruthless side of, of football and probably the business side. Um, yeah. Loans were coming into it a lot then. So a lot of Premier League teams and young loans were coming out and, you know, they were looking at that as a as a cheaper option plus a younger player to someone who was, you know, they thought was around 30, which, you know, I was 28, but um, who had off the back of a, of a of a bad injury so yeah that's probably why I then um found myself in league two um but I look back and I, I really enjoyed the second half of my career because it, it gave me a lot of experiences of the the lower leagues then um and kind of you know built a lot of mental toughness for me as well in, in terms of coming off the back of that injury um and I experienced a lot of things then that have kind of given me a lot of knowledge now going into coaching yeah that was one thing I wanted to ask you know I've interviewed former players before who, and you hear about it a lot more now you know people talk a lot, a lot more about mental health and struggling with injuries in football you know you're out for a year then you've had a, a previous injury I suppose in that period it, sort of mental struggles weren't really talked about how did you cope during that time it must have been must have been tough when you you know you've gone from that to two injuries and then you're sort of I haven't got a club. I imagine in that year with your doctor, you're out of contract as well. So that must have been different. Yeah, it, it, it was tough. Um, but I kind of had a, I've always felt like, you know, mentally I've, I've been tough. And, and to that point, you know, I'd kind of experienced a lot in football and you do build up that kind of toughness. Um, but it was more of a drive to get back to playing because at one point, as you say, I was out of contract and the injury wasn't going away. I was got, an, got an infection in it and I had to have, I ended up having three operations after that to clear actually that infection but um so it was more that I, I just wanted to get back playing um and so then to finally get back and playing at Cheltenham after kind of fighting to to get a team and just to be back playing football was was my main aim um and also then earning a living on the back of that um so yeah I was just really appreciative of getting back into the game of being able to play football for a living um and kind of as I say you know had a deeper appreciation for the game, you know, not that I wasn't one of these that didn't appreciate being in the Premier League in the Championship, but I'd, it's all I'd known from from a young lad coming through. You know, I've been very lucky to be a Premier League player, or you know, my second season as a pro, and being in the Premier League, the Championship for for so long. Um, it was it was then kind of you know appreciation for for actually playing football. Yeah, and then you went to Solid. You know, played a lot of games at at, at Solid. I think the one game you season you played sort of plus 40 games and, and, and close to the another another one of the season and that's when you know how did your career come to an end but you're already coaching by that point I think Dan was was it, was that always in your in your mind I know a lot of players don't really think about mm. it sometimes but was that always your plan for life after football yeah it was always in the back of my mind I think you always get asked it along your career you know what's your plans after football what do you want to do and and I knew that kind of coaching would be something I wanted to try my hand at you know I didn't know if it was going to be something I'd enjoy um, 
But that year out um, with my doctor, I did a lot of media work and, and covered a lot of the Birmingham games. It was the Europa League year as well for Blues. And um, I covered some West Brom games uh, for BBC WM as well. So um, I got another side of the game, the media side, yeah. um, really delved into that. And, and you know, um, something I still do now as well and, and enjoy. Uh, but the coaching kind of yeah fell onto fell into my lap a little bit of Solihull um, to to work with their younger players then and their under 18s team and and get a feel for it and obviously started my coaching badges um, and it was yeah doing it alongside playing and I found a passion for it um, so it kind of accumulated then to my fourth season at, at Solihull Moors I worked with Jimmy Shan uh, obviously who's you know uh, well known to, to to West Brom fans and um, Jimmy. You know, along with Richie Beale, obviously, who's there now, um, kind of, you know, ignited it even more for me and what what coaching is and the detail and the level of detail you can go into. And, and Jimmy in particular kind of, you know, really showed me, you know, uh, or defined how I wanted to be as a coach. Um, so he's, you know, I call him kind of my mentor and, uh, yeah. you know, he has influenced me a lot. Um and that was it then, kind of when Jimmy left Solihull, um, you know, I was kind of then in a, a stage where, you know, do I then leave Solihull and go and continue playing or do I give my all then to coaching? You know, and I'm one of these people that if I'm playing, I'm all in. I'm, I'm prepping and playing and um, uh, rehabbing and uh, prehabbing, sorry, and everything else. And, um, you know, that's my sole focus. So I, I felt if I kept playing, I wouldn't be able to give my all to coaching and I would be doing either or. So it was kind of, yeah, the the, the time is right. I'm going to really delve into my coaching. I really love it. It's a passion now. Um, I feel like I, I can progress and, and get better. So that's the decision I made and that's the, the reason I hung the boots up. Yeah, do you see a lot of, so you, you said you took a lot from Tony Mowbray as well. Do you see similarities between him and 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 Jimmy Shan, obviously Jimmy's sort of modern day coach as well. And and we, are you surprised he hasn't got? I think he's with Darren Moore again now at Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. Are you surprised that he didn't go on and have more sort of number one roles? I think he was at Kidderminster, then Solihull, and then I think he was assistant at Rochdale, I believe. Um, could, yeah. could you see a manager in in him as well, or was he more the Alan Irvine type? You know, good as a, as the coach, good on the grass. Yeah, I mean, I think Jimmy's excellent on the grass. You know, I, I say to people, his level of detail and the way he delivers is is, is top draw. Um, I, and again, from from all my experiences in football, he's 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 up there with with the best. Um, and I think there's, he's got the balance to be a manager. I, I, I genuinely believe that he'll have another go at some point. He'll get an opportunity. I really hope he does at some at some stage because, and I know that he's learned a lot from his experiences at West Brom at Solihull. So. Um, you know, I genuinely believe Jimmy will will get another chance at some stage. Uh, I'm glad that he's in, obviously, uh, at Sheffield Wednesday with Moro. So, um, but yeah, he, he is the modern day head coach for me, and I think that's a reason now you, you you're called head coaches rather than managers um, because I think you have to be both. You know, you know, on the grass and be able to manage off it. Um, whereas the old school kind of manager was you managed everybody and you had your coaches. That, that done the grass stuff um whereas now yeah i think you have to be both modern day you have to be out on the grass delivering and then being in the office um making the tough decisions yeah and then you it transpired am i right in thinking you did a little bit of work with albion albion's women's team on the yeah. back on the back of that yeah so uh, again i finished that year at solihull and and i was doing my a license finishing my a license and i knew that i had to um still be on the grass and uh, 
I'll, I'll be honest, I, I kind of thought about having a break from football because um, I've never had a break, um, you know, from the game and kind of felt like, do I just need a few months out or six months just to kind of uh, detox, if you like, um, from my playing career? Um, but yeah, so it was Dave Lawrence at West Brom um, who um, sort of approached me and asked if I wanted to come in alongside and work under Jenny uh, Sugarman. Um, and I met Jen and kind of went in and and, and helped out um, and, you know, sort of become fully integrated with them for, I think it was three months. Um, and that's when obviously the opportunity at, uh, at Blues Women came came along. Yeah, obviously in the Midlands, you, Midlands you got Blues women who are in the, I think the championship you're in at the moment, Darren and mm-hmm. Villa in the in the top flight, and then you've got Wolves and Wolves and Albion. What what was it like there at Albion? You know, is there you know the the, the set the the women's sort of team and section has grown, and they've played a couple of they played actually we recorded this they played on Sunday at the right. at the Hawthorns, and and that's growing, and and what sort of Jen Sugarman got going on there? You know, can you see them growing and potentially trying to sort of bridge that gap to the top levels? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I think the women's game in general now is obviously growing, as we all know, for the back of the Euros in in the summer, and um, a lot more clubs now are investing in the women's team, uh, which is vitally important. And, and I think it kind of, um, you know, West Brom are certainly now I know got plans to to integrate the women's team in, and, and as you've seen, being at the Hawthorns and and Jen, you know, is a great great person, great character. She wants to drive it forward alongside Dave Lawrence and. Um, you know, I've always loved West Brom just for the people. You know, some of, they've got some great people working, you know, within the, the pathway and structure as well. Um, you know, that genuinely care for the players, want to develop players um, and want success for West Brom. So, um, you know, harps back really to my two years as a player. You know, loved the feel of the club and the people that work there. And then being back just for that brief three months, um, it felt exactly how it did when I was a player. So, um, yeah, they're doing great things and they'll drive it forward. Um, but like anything, it, it obviously needs investment and needs uh, a helping hand. Yeah. Just on the on the coaching side, I was doing a bit of research yesterday and looking at that that side we talked about, the, 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 the side that lost in the playoffs. Of the players in that side, a lot of them are now in coaching yourself. Kevin Phillips is at, at South Shields. Um, Jonathan Green is at Scarborough. Yeah. Um, Paul Robinson at Millwall. Steve Watson, I know, is managed in, in non-league. Richard Chaplow in, in the US. Zoltan Gear is in coaching. Paul McShane's at Man United. Is there names in there that you didn't imagine going into to coaching when you were playing with them, Darren, or, or any that surprised you? Um, I think, to be fair, Jono Green in. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it doesn't surprise me with Jono being a coach but being a manager um i think you know that kind of surprised me a little bit but you know knowing john's character and how well liked he is um i know he'll, he'll be successful i think uh chappy richard chaplow a little bit as well obviously i played with chappy at, at west brom and, and then preston um i never thought he's a bit of a of, character i believe off he the is fields. a character yeah, yeah. And i never thought that he i thought he'd probably go into coaching uh but He's one of them people I thought may just have stepped away from the game and, and done something else. Um, so to see him managing and being successful um, is great, obviously. Uh, but he's one I wouldn't have kind of expected. Um, and Zoltan a little bit. I think Zoltan, again, great, great guy. Um, you know, to, to see him in a role now uh, that he's doing um, is a little bit surprising. But again, given how well-respected and, and the person he is, um, yeah, again, I know he'll, he'll be a success with it. Yeah, just finally coaching on yourself. The plan this season, obviously, is promotion the aim and get back up to that that WSL now. 
Yes, that's that's all the aim's been from from the start of the season. So um, a lot of restructuring and and a lot of change has happened um, across the club as as a whole, but especially with the women's team. So um, yeah, we we're trying to get it now in uh, try and build a bit of momentum. It's been a bit of a stop start start to the season for us, but um, yeah, going into to Christmas and into the new year, we're yeah hopefully get a rhythm and and give it a good go and uh, contend. Fantastic. Well, I've just got some. I've- in this new series, we've, we sort of we asked some questions in the last series. This series, we have sort of five little quiz questions about things that we've talked about or things linked that we've talked about in the interview, and obviously related to your career, Darren. So I've just got five quick fire questions just to see how much you can remember from your from your Albion playing days and appearances. Um, so the first one, I've got down that you scored. I think you scored six times um, for Albion. We talked about the the Arsenal goal, which was the Premier League goal, um, yeah. which is a fantastic strike. But you scored an equally good goal in a League Cup tie in your second season for Albion. Can you remember who it was against and, and what the score was that day? Yeah, it was against Leighton Orient um, away. I remember John O'Green even assisting with the cross. Um, I, th- I believe we won 3-0. Was it 3-0? That, I think, that yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. On the, um, on the day. Yeah, so it was on the TV as well. I remember that. Um, but yeah, I remember John O'Green doing his usual chop, chop, chop and kind of then finally crossed it and yeah, just it was perfect onto the left foot and I caught it sweet as a nut. Yeah, fantastic goal. Um, you also scored uh, that year in the FA Cup replay against Middlesbrough at the at the Hawthorns, yeah. which unfortunately I was quite a young Albion lad that day and we lost on penalties. It was quite upset in the crowd. Yeah. Um, but can you remember who missed the decisive penalty for Albion that night? Yeah, Serge or McDonald. Because um, I remember Serge uh, stepping up and um, I, I, I remember sort of a comment, something like, you know, oh, this is my World Cup final. Um, he was confident to take one. Um, but I remember him saying that just before going up and I felt like don't put too much pressure on yourself Serge and yeah unfortunately I remember he put it over the bar didn't he and and, and we lost so um, yeah disappointing that one yeah, yeah. probably cl- cleared out someone in the uh, in the Birmingham road end that night as well how high that went um, you made your day as we said you made your Blues debut against Albion you made your Albion debut against Blues um, it was a defeat for, for Albion on your on your Albion debut 3-2 um, it was another Birmingham favourite who got two for Albion that day? Can you remember who it was? Uh, was it Jeff Horsfield? Jeff Horsfield, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scored I, two. I, I, I forgot. I knew he scored. I didn't. Uh, I can't remember him getting two, but yeah, uh, I think Heskey got two for Birmingham that day as well. I think that was early typical, on. His, yeah, typical Jeff that. In his uh, in his career, um, the Derby playoff final. Um, mm. You came off the bench. Can you remember who you came on? I know you come on alongside Nathan Lanton. Can you remember who you came on for? Oh, that's a good one. Um, was it Robbie Corran potentially? No. No, Zoltan Gera. Oh, is it for Zoltan? Oh, okay, for Zoltan. Interesting. I didn't go left mid, but um, or I didn't go wide. I, I went central, but so we must have shifted someone, someone out wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Final, final question of the quiz. I'm not going to finish this on a on a negative note because I have got an overriding question. But yeah. in that second season at Albion, you got sent off in a in a game against Sheffield Wednesday. I think it was probably your only sending off for for mm. Albion. But Albion had two men sent off that day. Can you remember the other sending off? Is it Neil Clement? It was Neil Clement, yeah. Just talk so, us through that one. So, yeah, it was, I mean, again, I thought it was a soft second yellow. Um, it was on Leon Clark, actually, who, who I know. And um, so it's quite funny because Clement obviously been sent off. So I got sent off, I think, in the 92nd minute, something like that. So the game had obviously finished straight after. So as I went into the changing room, Clem was in there, kind of showered and sat down. So I've sat down, literally gutted that we've, you know, potentially lost. I've been sent off. And everyone comes in and it was only the next day then Clem actually realised I'd been sent off. He thought I'd just come in after the game. Yeah. 
because I'd been sent off so close to the the final whistle. Um, he, had, he didn't even know I'd been sent off as well. So um, yeah, that was a um, yeah, bit of a funny moment. After at the time, yeah, I was I was obviously a bit angry and uh, frustrated. Yeah, well, good. The first person to get, I think, a four out of five. The better, it's the best score we've had so far in the series, anyway. Oh, so. that's good. That's um, good to know. And just, just finally, thank you very much for your time. That you've been, you know, you've been very generous. Just, uh, what's your overriding when you look back at Albion? I know it's probably a short period of your, of your career, um, those mm. those two years. And obviously, you said you had a little bit of regret about leaving. But what's your overriding memory? You talked about the people at Albion and how you, you, you know, you, they, they make the club. You know, when you look back at West Brom and your time there, what does it make you feel? How did you sort of sum it up? I loved it. I genuinely loved it. I mean, I know I had kind of a struggle on the pitch in the first season with with confidence and form. Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, the people that I met there, you know, I've got lifelong friends, you know, Curtis, as I said, he's one of my best mates. I still speak to Nate Ellington and John O'Greening, you know, Paul Robinson. Um, there's there's a host of people I, I still see and, and speak to. Um, and just even the fans, you know, kind of when I go back to the Baggies or I see Baggies fans around, there's a, you know, a, a real night. I have a good chat with them and, and you know, it's, it's always nice to talk about my, my time at West Brom. And I do feel like an affiliation, you know, Blues, listen, was was obviously I grew up a Blues fan. So, you know, Blues was always in my DNA. But West Brom is certainly the the next club that is as close to my heart. Um, again, because I've got friends who are Baggies fans and family as well now. So, um, yeah, uh, it's it's fond memories, that's for sure. And, and I love going back there um, to, to watch games or, you know, for, for different events. Yeah, and what's the what's the future hold for for Darren Carter? Obviously, you're in the, in women's football at the moment. You know, you've you've played a non-league, played in the football league. Is is that the you know is that the the aim or or, or the goal or, or what do you see for yourself? Yeah, I think just kind of the the minute I'm you know um, still learning and developing now now as a head coach, I'm still learning, developing as a coach, um, sort of defining kind of you know the way I want to do things, and um, you know it is a constant learning cycle, but. I just want to get to the top of the game now in coaching, you know, whether that's um, in the women's game, men's game, um, you know, I just, I also want to be, enjoy what I'm doing. You know, it is, if I feel like I'm making an impact um, somewhere, whether that's on a, an individual or uh, as a team or a club, um, yeah, just working within football, appreciating that first and foremost, Um and yeah, then enjoying it. You know, that's kind of you know um, my mindset, and and hopefully that will take me on to um, to some big things. Yeah, well, we wish you all the best in it, Dan. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on on the Baggies broadcast, and we live those those two seasons at the club. We wish you all the best for the future. Um, you said about your coaching there, you know, getting to the top. Never know, we might see Darren Carter in the in the dugout of the Hawthorns one day. You never know. Um, but best of luck Who for knows? the season. Best of luck for the future. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you for having me. Loved it.